Thank you for listening to America's Start, an American history podcast designed with quick and simple lessons to broaden your knowledge and understanding of how America got its start. Welcome to Season 2, The Constitution of the United States. This is Part 3, The Legislative Branch, Sections 1 through 5. Article 1 of the Constitution covers the legislative branch. It is the largest part, but that doesn't mean it's the most important. Our founders insisted that we have three co-equal branches of government, with each one having a check and balance on the other. However, I believe the legislative branch is the most complex because it encompasses the House of Representatives and the Senate. We will cover the first five sections in this episode. Article 1, Section 1. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of the Senate and House of Representatives. That simply means that only the legislative branch can make laws. The President of the United States can't make laws. The Supreme Court can't make laws. Only the legislative branch can. The Great Compromise. Before we can cover Section 2, the House of Representatives, and Section 3, the Senate, we need to talk about the Great Compromise. Two plans were being debated in terms of how states would be represented. First was the Virginia Plan. It stated that each state would have a certain number of representatives based on their population. Large states, like Virginia and Pennsylvania, argued that because they had a larger population, they should have more of a say in what happened in federal government. The smaller states were not a fan of this, so they made their own plan for representation. The New Jersey Plan. This plan called for each state to have an equal representation regardless of population. They argued that without equal representation, smaller states would have no say in what was being done by the federal government. The Connecticut Plan, also known as the Great Compromise, blended both plans together into the system we know today. The Compromise set the standard for a two-house system with the House of Representatives representing the people and is filled based on population, and the Senate would represent the states and would be filled equally by each state. Section 2, the House of Representatives. Section 2 covers the House of Representatives. It states that representatives will be chosen every two years. The thought behind this was that they will be more in tune with their constituents because they'll have to face them for re-election every other year. To be a representative, you must meet the following criteria. One, you must be at least 25 years old. Two, you must be a citizen of the United States for at least seven years. Three, you must be a citizen of the state you are representing. Then there is the question of how the population will be counted to determine the number of representatives. Here are the basics. One, each state will have one representative for every 30,000 people. Two, each state will have at least one representative, even if they don't meet the 30,000 citizen threshold. And three, until each state can count its citizens, each state lists how many representatives it'll have to start. New Hampshire gets three, Massachusetts eight, Rhode Island one, Connecticut five, New York gets six, New Jersey four, Pennsylvania eight, Delaware one, Maryland six, Virginia has the most with 10, North Carolina five, South Carolina five, and Georgia will get three. The three-fifths compromise. It seems simple, right? Until we realize that this was the age of slavery. Like free states, slave states wanted as many representatives as they could have. So they proposed that the slaves be counted as part of their population when determining how many representatives their state was allotted. 
Free states, wanting to protect their own percentage of representatives, argued that since slaves were sold, traded, and treated as property, they should not be counted as part of the slave state population, and instead should be taxed, similarly to horses and cattle. Governor Morris of Pennsylvania argued that the slave states wanted to count slaves as part of their population, they should make them citizens and let them vote. Slave states weren't ready for that. Their entire agricultural economy based on slave labor, so the compromise was reached to allow each slave to count as three-fifths of a person in terms of population. Although claiming that a slave was only three-fifths of a person contradicted the phrase, all men are created equal, as stated in the Declaration of Independence, it seemed the only way to keep the convention together. This compromise, as horrifying as it sounds by 2020 standards, really started to change people's thinking on slavery, leading to northern states passing anti-slavery laws and eventually leading to the 13th Amendment. The rest of Section 2 is pretty lackluster, yet very important. It states that the House of Representatives shall choose the Speaker of the House along with other officers and that the House has the sole power of impeachment. It's important to note that the House of Representatives has the power to impeach, but the Senate has the sole power to try all impeachments. It's another example of a separation of power. Section 3. The Senate. Section 3 outlines the responsibilities, duties, and requirements for the Senate. It declares that each state is authorized two senators who will be elected for a term of six years. This is another interesting example of the separation of power in the representatives are elected for two years while senators are elected for a period of six. The founding fathers were concerned about a massive amount of turnover in the Senate, so its second paragraph in section three states that immediately upon election, senators will be broken up into three groups. Group one will be up for re-election after two years, group two will be up for election after four years, and group three will serve the full six-year term. After the first election, each senator was will be elected for a full six-year term. This grouping sets the Senate up for a one-third of its members being up for re-election every two years, allowing for some continuity by limiting turnover all at once. To be a senator, you must meet the following criteria. One, you must be 30 years old. Two, must be a citizen of the United States for at least nine years. And number three, must be a citizen of the state you are elected from. Realizing there will always be an even number of senators, the Founding Fathers then added a method of breaking a tie. In another example of separating powers, the Constitution states, The Vice President of the United States shall be President of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. That means that if the Senate is split on a vote, the Vice President of the United States will break the tie. The first Vice President of the United States, John Adams, broke 29 ties in the Senate. The most tie-breaking votes were conducted by Vice President John C. Calhoun between March 4, 1825 and December 28, 1832, with 31. Impeachment. The last part of the Section 3 covers the Senate's role in impeachment. The House of Representatives has the sole power of impeachment, but the Senate has the sole power to try all impeachments. This is, as the police will bring charges against a bank robber, but the judge and jury will determine the guilt or innocence. It is a complicated issue, so I'll stick with the basics. 1. When trying an impeachment, each member will be under oath. 2. If the President of the United States is being impeached, the Chief Justice will be in charge. 3. 
To convict a person being impeached, two-thirds of the Senate must vote to convict. 4. The only punishment that can be issued by impeachment is the removal from office and disqualification for holding any other office or honor, trust, or profit. 5. The convicted can be charged with other crimes according to the law. Section 4. Elections. Section 4 tasks each state legislator to figure out how and when it will hold elections for their representatives and senators. It also states that Congress shall assemble at least once per year on the first Monday of December. This was changed to January 3rd by the 20th Amendment. The interesting part here is that Congress is only mandated to meet one time throughout the year. Travel arrangements at the time did not allow for constant back and forth from a congressperson's state to Philadelphia and eventually to Washington, D.C., in today's travel environment, many congressmen and women work in the Capitol building during the week and fly to their home state for the weekend. Section 5. Rules and Documentation When the Constitution refers to each house, it means it applies to both the House of Representatives and the Senate. Section 5 states the following. Each house will conduct its own votes. Each house will have a majority of its members present to conduct business. Each house will make its own rules for conducting business and how it will publish punish its members. If two-thirds of the house agrees, a member can be expelled. Each house will keep track of its own work. If one-fifth of the members want a roll call vote, it will be taken and the yeas and nays recorded. During a session of Congress, neither house can adjourn for more than three days without permission from the other house. There it is, the first five sections of Article 1 of the Constitution. I know that's a lot. That's why we broke Article 1 up into two parts, and next week we'll cover Sections 6 through 10. America's Start podcast can be found wherever you find quality podcasts. If this is your first time listening, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends to help spread the word. You can follow John at Mr. Underscore JVD on Twitter, and you can also read his blog, which is at mrvanduzen.blogspot.com.